So I have to ask you a question. How many of you do New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Got a few? No one wants to do a resolution anymore, do they? How many have ever tried a New Year's resolution over the course of their life? Nearly everybody does. And so what does a New Year's resolution do? It, it, it basically is the first of the year. It is a new start. It is when you see yourself different by the end of the new year. It is a pledge or a challenge to yourself to be a different person, isn't it? What are the most common New Year's resolutions? Lose weight. Everybody wants to lose weight. I've even had that one before. It worked for about a year, and then it didn't work. And so you give up on them. I was listening to uh, one of those uh, morning news shows, and they have the people come in, show you how to cook healthy things, you know, get more leafy vegetables, that kind of stuff into your diet. And they were saying that it's a mindset on doing these resolutions. And in a way, it is. And they said, treat every meal, if losing weight is your goal, like a Monday morning. Do you get that? What that means is Monday morning, it is always a new week on a diet. So Monday morning breakfast is a chance to eat healthy. Well, what happens when we decide that, hey, we did great this week, but then, you know, next week we had a, a business meeting and then had a greasy burger and fries. Well, I screwed up that day, didn't we? So that night, why do I need to eat healthy? I've already messed up today. We'll just start over tomorrow. And then tomorrow you eat like a, a pig again, all that, all that food that tastes so good that you're not supposed to have, that kind of stuff. Well, what this guy was saying was that just because you mess up one time, don't treat it as an excuse to just go on living the old way that you used to. Treat every opportunity as a new opportunity. And for losing weight, if you want to choose a new opportunity, every time you sit down at a table to eat, it is a new opportunity to live a lifestyle that you see is better for you and yourself. And so when we talk about the Christian faith, many times it, it is good to kind of get in this mindset because we are filled with ups and downs, valleys and highs and mountaintop experiences. And if we live in a way that every, every day is an opportunity to do what God has commissioned us to do, we will live different. But many times, just like as we fail at our resolutions, we fail at the commissioning that God has given us. That we said, well, you know, I missed that chance, so that chance is gone. That's not how it works. Every day is the first day of a new year for a Christian. And this all starts with a new idea on what the faith means. And this takes place after Jesus is resurrected. Because if we look in the history of the Old Testaments and we talk about missions, did you know it is really hard to come up with a mission strategy only using the Old Testament? You can kind of squint, and there are a few areas that show a mission to the Gentiles in the Old Testament, but in reality, that was not what the emphasis was. The emphasis was on a promise and on a people, on a children of God. It was centered around Jerusalem and the temple, a place of God's presence. And the mission to the Gentiles 
was a mission of showing others how blessed they were to serve the one true God. And so for them, they were called to live the life that God had set out for them in the Ten Commandments and in all the teachings of the Torah and and things like that. They were to live differently than the world so that the world would see them as being blessed by God and that there was something extremely different about them and draw them to themselves like a magnet. Now, the church today especially through the 90s and 2000s and and even up to present, we returned to the Old Testament model that we wanted to build these facilities, these places that would draw outsiders in, that would draw people who didn't know the gospel into us because we offered something great. In many ways, it could be workout classes to start the new year. We've got a few of those if you're interested. It could be Bible studies or activities for your kids. I mean, remember these youth group days when when they would take you snow skiing and, and all these kind of stuff, whitewater rafting? Well, that was my childhood experience. If you didn't have it, well, too bad. I did. But we did. We went snow skiing and whitewater rafting, and we would get a bunch of people there. But out of that youth group that I grew up with that practiced an entertainment model of drawing people in, it shared the gospel, don't get me wrong. It was a gospel-centered teachings and things like that. And they would teach you the message of Christ. But once the entertainment factory ends, that you go off to college and you're either you know, young married or, or single working class, there just wasn't that much to draw you back. And many of those that I grew up with in youth group, they're no longer in the church. Now, like a lot of us, we we disappeared for a while. And then when we start having our own kids, we started coming back. And that happens a lot. But the thing is, not many are actually coming back anymore. We have some that that do, and that's great because they remembered their roots. And maybe they kind of got a little off as they were experiencing adulthood for the first time themselves. Maybe that's all right. Everybody messes up a time or two. But more and more, our culture is telling them it's okay to raise your kids without the church. And so as our culture shifts away from this idea of Christianity to this more secular idea, less and less people are coming back into the church. Because for them, church was about entertainment. They will go for the special events for your Easter's and your Christmas when you, you, know, you do all the musicals and the plays and all those kind of things. But those are entertainment factors. We, we have trained Christians to come to the entertainment that is the church. That was kind of the Old Testament model. It was a model built that showed that you were a blessed people and that if you wanted that blessing, you came in. And we saw in the Old Testament that the people of God screwed it up too, didn't they? Over and over again, the history of the Jewish people was that they would one time turn and worship God and His blessing would be upon them, but slowly but surely outside influences would draw them away and then they would start worshiping these these other gods and, and going off track from there. And that place that was the source of their inspiration, of their power, of, of the Spirit, of God's dwelling became a ritual became a place to go for festival days. And then they were given up 
God's hand of protection lifted off of those people of old, sent them into exiles, those that remained. And then there became a time where they cried out again, like they had in the past. And God delivered them from their enemies and gave them back their land. But there was an intuition within the faith through those intertestamental periods between the Old Testament and the New that we have our land back, we have our temple back, but it's not right because we have been under one foreign power after the other. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, there was talk about a Messiah for years because in the Old Testament prophets, there was a call that one day a leader would be raised that from the line of David that would be seated on the throne and his dominion would have no end and all these things. And so they were looking for a leader like they had in the past that would come in and that would get rid of those foreign powers and that would sit on the throne eternally. And then Jesus comes along. We know the story of the gospel. He didn't fit anybody's expectation of the Messiah. He came from humble origins, raised by a carpenter, blue collar. But he was raised in a way that he knew the scriptures and that God gave him an understanding like no other. He came to give the blind their sight, to make the lame whole again, to rid those of leprosy so that they may be clean and join society like they couldn't before. He gave the good news to the poor, to the outcast, those Gentiles. But his mission was to the Jewish people while he was there on his earthly ministry. Now that mission would get interrupted time and time again as these outsiders saw something in Jesus that those who should have known missed. And they would come to him again and again. And he would tell them, I wasn't sent for you. But it was through their faith that they were made whole or healed or whatever it was. And those who should have known had one of his very disciples bribed and give him up. And they crucified him. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised again. And in during those resurrection appearances, our text today from Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, tells us this. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Great commission. Now, this was not actually always the rallying cry of missions. Way back in the 1700s, 
a man named William Carey, a particular Baptist, started, um, I guess in the youthful vigor, bucking the trends of the church. Now, if you don't understand what a particular Baptist is, they come from more of a Calvinistic perspective. And so in their understanding of the scriptures, they believe in this idea of predestination. And so in their, the way they did missions then was basically, you know, these people who settled the Americas, they were these favored by God, kind of like in the Old Testament, and that you were born into a particular way. So it doesn't matter what you do, that if God wanted you to be saved, it'll happen. It's not really what we think of as a theology of mission. A theology of mission says that we take the gospel to those who have not heard it. And this William Carey, particular Baptist, became one of the founding movements or founding leaders of the modern missionary movement. And so what I mean by that is when we talk about missions and foreign missions in particular, we can credit to people like William Carey. It's the organization of the Baptists that made this great. It is the sharing of resources, the cooperation of all the churches around the country and around the world that pooled resources together so that we could send people into these foreign lands. Because if you're raised in West Texas, you don't speak Chinese, you don't speak Korean, you don't speak some of these odd little dialects of these African tribes. If you are going to go there, you have to be educated, not just in theology and Bible teaching, but also in foreign cultures, in foreign languages, and all this. That is an expensive endeavor. Now, if you've also studied the modern mission movement, you know that we didn't always do things right. How could we? We're human. We, we are led by the Spirit, but a lot of times once we gain leeway, our pride takes over and we start making human decisions. And you can look at places around this globe where missionaries went in and they just messed up stuff, messed it up bad, destroyed culture, split apart families for no other reason than what they were doing. And so if you go around the globe during this time, you would find Baptist churches that were mission plants. That's good. But in order for these converts to be Christians, they had to look just like us. And so if you went into an area that was tribal culture, they started wearing English clothing. They started speaking in English. They wanted to basically replicate our home churches in these foreign lands. Even with all the things that we messed up, the gospel took root. And the seeds were planted. I had a mission professor that had a favorite saying. He said, God can hit a pretty good lick with a crooked stick. Meaning that as screwed up as we are, God is really in control of the missions. But it messed us up back home. And so when you say the word mission, usually what first comes to mind is exotic locations, places overseas. There used to be this idea you couldn't do missions unless you crossed a body of water, meaning you had to leave our country shores to do mission work. And so the work of evangelism was a work of going to other places. We neglected what was outside our own door because there was an assumption that if you were in America, you were a Christian. That assumption was false. We were based on Christian values, but culturally, 
even back then, we were not fully Christian nation. We had a lot of Christians, don't get me wrong. It was the majority religion. But some of it was cultural religion. You went to church because that's where you made your connections. You did all this, but a true faith was not there. And so what am I trying to do with this sermon today? Am I trying to say everything we've done is wrong? No. I'm trying to put this text in a proper perspective. And to do this, we actually need the text right before it. If one thing I want to do as a pastor is to teach you that context is everything. If you are reading the scripture, never get so focused on a single particular text that you neglect the rest of scripture. Look at a book, a letter, in reference to the overarching theme of Scripture. Because when we zero in on something, we can miss the scale. And so let's read what happened right before this, starting in verse 11. It said, While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and took the chief priests and all what had ta- told the chief priests all that had taken place. So this is a story of the guards who were present during the resurrection. And they had seen the angels. They had felt the earthquake and all this. It says, And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said to them, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money And they did as they were directed. And this story had been spread among the Jews to this day. Did you hear this? Conspiracy theory. If you like conspiracy theories, here it is. What happened after Jesus' crucifixion before the resurrection? Do you remember? These very people asked, the powers that be, to please post a guard because we're fearful that the disciples will steal the body because they speak of a resurrection in three days. And so they had a guard posted. They are the reason that these witnesses were there in the first place. But yet, what they feared, they concocted as the reason why. Now, this was a very dangerous lie for these soldiers to tell. So that had to be some large sum of money. Because if you were tasked as a soldier to guard a tomb, and now you're going to tell the governor that we fell asleep and they stole the body? Really? I mean, think about it. This tomb had this big giant rock in front of it. So if you're so hard asleep that somebody can sneak in, push this rock out of the way, get this body out without being noticed, it's far-fetched. What's the governor going to think? What's your your commanding officer going to think? You snuck a little bit too much booze and were passed out drunk, and you let this body get stolen. The only answerable, only logical thing that would happen, they'd be put to death for failing at their post. So that had to be a nice sum of money. But the Great Commission is balanced by the great lie. And so as we go out with the gospel, the enemy, the devil, 
goes out with the great lie, the great deception. And so we have to keep this all in perspective. That as we go out, we go out into enemy territory. Just right out that door, enemy territory. For a lie is being spread. It's said here that this story had been spread among the Jews to this day. Matthew's gospel was written many years after the resurrection. And we know from the other gospels that Jesus did other things. And so when we look at the Great Commission and in the view of Matthew's gospel, we have to understand that this is really a summary statement of what Jesus taught in his resurrected state for those 40 days when he was here before he ascended up to heaven. And he taught the disciples to go to all nations, make disciples, it said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But this commission, this assignment, this mission that was given to these early disciples who are now apostles, the sent ones, was given because Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All divine authority. All earthly authority. And I give it to you. He says, your commission comes with a word of authority. This is the difference between a New Year's resolution and a Christian faith. It is not about being strong enough, being smart enough, being educated enough about carrying the gospel into all the world. It is about the authority of Jesus Christ that lives in you. It is about the Holy Spirit that indwells in you. Authority of Christ is one of the most important features of the Great Commission. And I think many times we lose that. Because as Baptists and as business people, we are organizers. We can gain our resources and we can do great things when we work together. But it is not about the resources that spreads the gospel. It is about the authority of Jesus Christ given to his disciples to go. But I will give you a little bit of encouragement here. Did you see how this started off? You have the 11 who were still together, gathered together. Jesus comes to them in his resurrected state, and they worshiped him. But some doubted. Did you catch that when we read it the first time? This word for doubt is also the same word for hesitation. This is one of the themes running through Matthew. You of little faith. They were immature in their faith. They had spent three years learning from Jesus. They had saw him crucified. Now they see him resurrected in their very presence. But even then, some doubted. Maybe it's a reference to Psalmist. I don't know. Maybe it was all of them. Could be read that way in the Greek. But they had a trouble of accepting the assignment. 
but they did because the church is its result. They didn't quit like in the book of Mark. The book of Mark doesn't end well, does it? It has those who had heard the gospel, had seen the resurrection, cowering in fear, not moving, scared. But in that gospel, the commission is in the fact that you just heard this. You just heard the power of the resurrection, the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel. They are just sitting there scared. Who is going to take the charge? The answer is rhetorical. If you just heard this and you believe this, it is you. If you have heard the gospel and if you accept it in faith, this commission, this mission, this assignment is for you. You may not understand it. You may have fears and hesitations and even doubts as those disciples did. But as you will grow in your faith, you will also grow in your assignment. You will grow in what God has in store for you. It's interesting, isn't it? The gospel stories begins with a baby, Emmanuel, God with us. And this gospel story ends with Emmanuel, God with us. For it says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, in his authority, gave us assignment. But he says, I am with you. I am Emmanuel. Let us pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for today. We are so thankful for this time that you have given us to come to your house to worship you. Lord, I ask now that if there's anyone in our presence today who has not found you to be their Lord and Savior, that today is the day. Today marks a new year, the first Sunday of the year. That this will be the year that they come to a saving relationship with you. Be with all of us, Lord, that we are burdened this year, that we are burdened by your commission. Teach us that each and every one of us have been given, given different gifts, gifts of service, and that it was through your grace that we are saved. Each of us will carry out this commission differently. We will go to different places. Some of us may go overseas and serve in foreign cultures that have never heard the gospel for the first time. But most of us, Lord, I suspect, will be given a mission to where we're at. To classrooms, to banks, to the courthouse, to insurance, to farming. You will place people in our lives that do not know you. Teach us to go to these people and make disciples. Lead them through baptism that they may join the community. Teach us to deserve all that you have taught through your scriptures, through the life and witness of Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen.
And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have made a decision to follow Christ and would like to make that publicly known, or if you have decided to make First Baptist Church your home church, or if you're in need of prayer, please come forward at this time.